You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a refreshing and captivating interview with top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal some entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories, some you've never heard before. I'm George Hoffman, and please make sure you subscribe to Tell Me a Story I Don't Know on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is presented by Dynamic Manufacturing. Since 1955, Dynamic Manufacturing has a relentless commitment to quality and customer service when it comes to your automotive needs. They've been named General Motors Supplier of the Year 22 times. And whether it's remanufacturing, machining, electrification, motorsports, and much more, there's nothing Dynamic Manufacturing can't do. Find them on the web at dynamicmanufacturinginc.com and by Raul Jewelers, who offer the finest in rings, bracelets, earrings, necklaces, and much more since 1982. They specialize in custom design, so if you're looking for that right gift, especially during the holidays, head to Raul Jewelers on Barrington Road in Hoffman Estates, and they're on the web at rawljewelers.com. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is also sponsored by the Polina Market, purveyors of the finest meats. Look for them at polinamarket.com, and by Vienna Beef, makers of Chicago's hot dogs and a landmark institution since 1893. They're located at ViennaBeef.com. This week, we feature part two with the voice of the Chicago Bulls and the versatile Fox Sports announcer, Adam Amin. My mom wanted to name me after my father. My father's name is Muhammad. When I was the first born in, the, in this country, I think she felt that it had a lot of sentimental value. And my brothers all declared... <laughs> basically in full throat that we cannot do this to him. And I think they wanted to take a little bit of pressure off of me. Adam is an important religious name in, in several monotheistic mm -hmm. religions. So I think there was that enough of enough appeal there to my mom and enough uh, logic there for my brothers to uh, convince my, my mom to naming Adam. He calls the Bulls, but he's also called the Bears, the White Sox, and Cubs. Quite an achievement for a 34-year-old Chicagoan whose career took off at age 23 and now, some 12 years later, has vaulted him into one of the nation's leading play-by-play -play announcers. Adam Amin already has many stories to tell, including his hire at ESPN and a life story unlike most. You are 23 years old and suddenly... ESPN is knocking on your door. So I'm wondering, Adam, what that day was like when this monolithic sports network said, Adam Amin, 
we want you. I remember getting the phone call from my agent, uh, July of 2011. And we had an afternoon game or a morning game, actually, as one of those games where the ca uh, the campers come. You know, you get a couple of camps of kids coming over from uh, summer camp to go watch the ball game at 11 o'clock in the morning. And you're done by 2, 2.30 in the afternoon. So I'm like, all right, I got the rest of the day and I'm sitting in the booth. And I go, oh, let me get a head start and some work for tomorrow. So I'm sitting in the booth, just knocking out some notes and I get a phone call. Now, to give you a little bit of backstory, which... I guess I've done plenty of at this point. So uh, my apologies. Brevity clearly wasn't taught very well to me over the course of my years of broadcasting. But I think I remember distinctly getting the phone call from my agent. And my agent at that point had said things like, there's a shot we may have some work for you at ESPN. They, 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 they may need some people, but just be patient. It would be something like, hey, we've got five. They might have five games for you. And at 23, 24 years old, to have even a sniff at doing five games on national television is a huge, huge, huge deal. Even to this point, even in a very quickly changing television climate, in particular in sports broadcasting, at that point, five national TV games was a huge deal. So I thought, well, whatever, I'll sign it, whatever they have. And he goes, well, well, let's hold off. They may need, they may need you for more. All right, great. Hey, they may have 10 for you. And I go, well, we should sign that. And he goes, well, let's have some patience. I think, you know, they're, they're just keeping us up to date. I'm like, all right. So finally we get to this point in July and I get another phone call and, and I ask, well, all right, what is it this time? He goes, well, it's a little different this time. And um, now the anticipation's building and he goes, they've offered you a full contract, like a full 45 game, full salaried contract. So like, this is a real job and it's at that level. And it had been, you know, the combinations of all the experiences over the previous six years that it all kind of stacked up together. And I think the buildup to finally having that pay off for the first time in, a, in the biggest possible way, uh, it's an emotional moment. I cried a lot. You know, I'm, I'm a fairly emotional person to begin with. And I, I just started sobbing and I didn't hear much after, you know, the full contract and all that. It just, it's, it's not because I, I was overly proud or I, I, I felt, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't coming from a place of ego. I think it genuinely came from a place of relief. I, I just worried for so long between my parents' expectations, between my own expectations, between my own struggles of figuring out what I'm good at, what I'm bad at, what, uh, what I need to figure out. I think it was just the relief and I, I cried just a lot. And uh, that emotion stuck with me for a long time. Now, let me tell you a story about Adam and me. You don't know. I met Adam for the first time a week before we did this interview. We have some very interesting things in common from being the youngest in our families to being the only ones born in the United States. And we both stand a gigantic five feet seven. But <laughs> the emigration of your father to this country is really quite a story that very much involves the rest of your family. He was a very sharp man. He was the vice president of a bank in Karachi, Pakistan, large city in Pakistan. And that's where he's from originally. Well off, obviously, had a good job, et cetera. Played some semi-pro cricket, loved the game. And 
like many people at that time of that culture, perhaps of that religion, there is a desire for marriage and there was an arrangement that worked out well for both him and at the time, you know, and, and this is old country, uh, his 16 year old wife, uh, my mom. And she was from a very, very poor part of Pakistan, not very well off, larger family. And, you know, almost to her detriment, you know, and I've gotten to know this over the last few years since my dad had passed, but I, I realized that my mom was actually very sharp too, and just never got the chance to really explore that because again, came from a poor family. So it was a good arrangement for the two. They got married and as married couples have a tendency to do uh, in these cultures, they got a chance to know each other and really get become very fond of one another. Uh, they got married in in the late 1960s. I think it was 1968. And my oldest brother was born in 1969. Another was born in 1973 and another in 1977. So they have this pretty well-established family going into the late 1970s. But for whatever reason, and I, I regret that I never really got to explore the reasonings for my dad to leave. But he and his brother, who also had a wife and a couple of kids, uh, both decided that it may be best, whether it was governmental, whether it was uh, volatility uh, in the region, you know, in, in the South, in South Asia and in the Middle East. And obviously, you and I had a conversation about uh, how volatile Iran was at that point in the late 1970s. And there's been plenty of documentation and, and literature about that. And for whatever reason, they decided that it was probably best for them to try to start establishing a life in America. And I think part of it, too, was the, the the lighter side of it too the american dream that that has kind of been sold at that point you know for many immigrants throughout the 60s and 70s and 80s to come to america and try to make the best of of the situation that you'll be given here you know freedom and all that and my dad became a deeply over the years he became deeply american like he just really i, I think he really appreciated the opportunity to come here, but it's kind of drastic to think that he was 40 years old at this point. And I'm, I'm 34 and I can't imagine in six years, if I suddenly had to go to Budapest and become a chef, like, I don't know how, I don't know how, how I would do that. And yet here he is with a fairly well-established life and a fairly well-established family and leaving Pakistan to go thousands of miles away to the United States and become a manual laborer. So he and his brother started working in Chicago at a factory that molded and shaped windows that ended up going into high rise buildings in downtown Chicago. I look around, I'm in my apartment in downtown Chicago and I can't help but laugh looking at some of the buildings and just think, oh, I wonder if that was one of the buildings. And he goes from being this well-to-do man, white collar job to being a blue collar guy every day and still was the most impressive employee. I remember he got, he, he wanted a raise at one point and he told me that, he and his brother would both work really hard. They'd outwork a lot of the people that were there. And the boss was under the impression that they couldn't speak English. And my dad spoke very good English. And so did his brother at that point. So they just kind of walked around under the assumption that nobody knew that they could talk or they didn't want to bother them or, you know, they were insulting them and they didn't want to retaliate and they would just outwork everybody. And that was their thing. So he wanted to raise his boss had had a schedule set up to where they needed a certain amount of work. Again, I'm, I'm giving you very vague terms because this is how the story was told to me. 
but they needed a lot of work done in a very short amount of time. My dad and his brother surpassed that deadline by a long margin. And that was enough to convince his boss to give him a raise. And that's, I'm, I'm convinced that if I got any thing from him, it was his work ethic. And that was the bi biggest example or one of the biggest examples of, of how that affected him. So here he is in America, George, but through the, through this whole period of time, mom and three kids are by themselves in Pakistan. And obviously they're taken care of, but they're by themselves. And she's raising three kids, one of whom is a very young child at that point. And they have very little communication. They, you can't really afford collect calls when you're in America at this point. My dad's trying to save every penny because every penny he saves is another second that everybody's joining him a little bit quicker. And for seven years, all the way to 1985, they talked maybe once a year and it would just be a couple of letters back and forth every month. And my mom still has a shoebox full of those letters that I imagine she had a, she would have a very difficult time looking at right now. Who doesn't love jewelry? Who wouldn't love Rawl Jewelers? Family owned and operated for nearly 40 years, Rawl Jewelers offers the very best in fine jewelry and engagement rings, including mined and lab-grown diamonds. And they utilize the latest technology and offer jewelry repair on the premises. Rawl Jewelers has a glittering array of rings, necklaces, earrings, bracelets, and watches, and offers custom-designed jewelry on the premises. And if you have the most specific questions, Rawl Jewelers has four graduate gemologists on staff. With over 200 years of combined experience and expertise, it's no wonder Rawl Jewelers is one of the leading shops of its kind. This is where my wife and I got our wedding bands many years ago, and it's safe to say, when you walk in as a customer, you're going to leave as a friend. Rawl Jewelers is located at 3001 Barrington Road in Hoffman Estates, right off I-90 West. Rawl Jewelers, when only the very best will do. The easiest way to hear more great guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is to follow me on social media at George Hoffman. That's O-F-M-A-N, just one F, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. We return with Adam Amin on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. Here you are. You're born in Chicago in 1986 named by your brothers one of which was 17 at the time that's quite an age difference so yeah. tell me a story i don't know how did all of them the youngest i believe was still nine years older than you welcome you to their growing family yeah it was uh i think especially the two younger brothers were very enthusiastic. And again, the old, I, I don't blame the, my oldest being 17 years older. He had his own life. He was about to start college. Like I, I get it. Like I, he and I were, were never destined to necessarily be, you know, uh, attached to the hip by any means. But I think all three of them really took, they really put a lot of investment in me, you know, especially my, when I was born, my dad was 50 when I was born. So for me, those three were almost like surrogate fathers in the sense of they, they all filled a different role for me that I'm sure a, you know, a typical dad would fill, but, but just my dad was a little bit older. So that was just our family dynamic. But the three of them were very watchful and very protective. And even to the point where they named me, uh, my three brothers have very strong, traditional Pakistani Muslim names. Uh, 
Ishmael, Abdullah, Mustafa. And they had gone to school for about a year in the United States when I was born. I was born in December of 86. So they'd been about a year. And they'd gone through plenty of ridicule, as plenty of kids <laughs> would in the 1980s. And, uh, you know, teenagers can be horrific people sometimes. <laughs> as uh, I'm, a, I'm the uncle of a teenager, so I, I'm sure we'll have some moments that I'll have to deal with them too. But I, I just felt like they, they sensed that they didn't want that for me. And my mom wanted to name me after my father. My father's name is Muhammad. And my mom wanted to name me after him. I was the first born in, the, in this country. I think she felt that it had a lot of sentimental value. I think it meant a lot to my dad. And my brothers all declared basically in full throat that we cannot do this to him. And I think they <laughs> wanted to take a little bit of pressure off of me. Uh, off of any reputation that I may have to have to battle through by giving me an Americanized yet still Quranic name. Adam is an important religious name in, in several monotheistic mm -hmm. religions. So I think there was that enough of enough appeal there to my mom and enough uh, logic there for my brothers to uh, convince my, my mom to name me Adam. Very thoughtful brothers you have. By the way, all of us yep. have stories how we get into this racket, but your dad played a rather significant role. Huge role, uh, just by exposing me to it. Because this was, this is how he felt connected as an American, watching sports. You know, he comes to the States in 78, and I mentioned that, you know, they came in the winter, I think, of 78, and I mentioned that he was a semi-pro cricket player. He just liked the sport a lot. And they'd work these strange hours on various days and he'd work weekends at this factory if they needed him to or whatever. Like they just worked odd hours. And the one thing about the Cubs who played on WGN or were televised on WGN, they played a lot of afternoon games. So for my dad, it happened to line up really well to be able to watch a sport that he had some exposure to. He was familiar with American sports. He'd known a lot about Muhammad Ali uh, obviously because those fights were broadcast in, in several languages worldwide and feeds were taken worldwide. And he was familiar with basketball. He was familiar with what baseball was just knowing it as a bat and ball sport. But when he came to the States and started working these odd hours, the game would be on maybe during in between shifts or during a lunch break or whatever afternoon games at Wrigley and he'd watch and they were terrible. You know, the 79 team was not good. Fly ball, left center, that's pretty well hit. Wow, come on. A home run for the pitcher. Wow. Randy Lurch just had a line drive opposite field homer. Right in among the bleacher bums there in left center field. Oh boy. That makes it 7-0. Randy Lurch crosses the plate. Tell me about yeah. it because I covered them. I, okay. I can tell you a lot of sad stories of the 1979 and 80 and 81 Cubs oh, until Steve, Dallas Steve, came around. Steve Dillard and, and, oh, and Bill Buckner and <laughs> Yvonne DeJesus and Tim Blackwell. And, you know, there's a lot of names on, uh, uh, that, are, that are very uh, you know, synonymous with, with the lovable loser Cubs for a long time. And Rick Russell, I think, was on that team. And, and you know, but, but my dad enjoyed watching it because it was, it was connective. It was familiar. You probably heard me use that word connective or connectivity a, a million times at this point, just because that, that's one of my favorite words. And I think my dad felt that connectivity to his home country, to maybe his family, maybe his friends. 
And I think that's why he fell in love with baseball and, and suffered through a lot of losing seasons. And, and you mentioned Dallas Green. For him, it was when Sutcliffe came around in 84. And that's when the, the fortune started to change. Obviously, they win the division in 84. I'm born in 86. So now they're like a fun team to watch. They win again in 89. I'm sitting on my dad's lap watching games, you know, throughout the playoff run. Same thing with my brothers. I'm watching Bulls games and Bears games and Cubs games with them. And my dad just kind of sitting there with me. And then as I got older uh, and I was able to pick up a Nerf bat and, and, uh, and a tennis ball, he, again, is in his 50s, doesn't really want to run around the way he used to, but he's sitting on the couch in our basement watching games. And I'm standing across from him waiting to swing my Nerf bat at whatever ball he underhands to me. And I'm going to run the basement bases as it is. And that, that was, that was the, the formative process of understanding that this is a thing that connects people, that connects fathers and sons, that connects fans and, and, and athletes. And, and I think, again, I don't realize those concepts at age three, but I know that the seeds were kind of planted at that point just to be exposed to sports for, for the good that they do bring. Listen up, OEMs. First impressions are lasting ones. Dynamic Manufacturing's impressive complex in Hillside, Illinois, includes nearly a million square feet of operating space. I had a chance to view some of it, and I was overwhelmed by the organization, technology, and dedicated workforce. Dynamic Manufacturing provides solutions for engineering, manufacturing, machining, and logistics, and they can re-energize your electric and energy storage systems. They can machine any project, no matter the size. And when it comes to motorsports, they're your trusted partner for chasing podiums with their custom torque converters. Dynamic Manufacturing is your one-stop for all your remanufacturing needs, and they can't wait to engineer a custom solution for getting maximum value from experienced parts. Dynamic Manufacturing, where there's nothing they can't do. The death of your father in 2018 had a very profound effect on you. So tell me a story. I don't know what transpired and how you got through it. It's a strange time for me just because I, you know, I'm in my early thirties. I'm starting to become, I'm probably in the year that established me the most in terms of my career. Uh, whether publicly or not, I don't know, but certainly to, to the, to the network, to ESPN at that point, they had elevated me on college football in 2017. Uh, I'd been doing NBA playoffs. I just signed a new contract, you know, the, the spring of 17, I was feeling good. And I was like, all right, we're, we're starting to move in a direction that makes me feel like I have a real future in this. So our college football season's great. We have some great games. Uh, you know, I'm doing the NBA. They put me on the women's final four basketball broadcast team so we're the lead team for that sport one second remaining no timeouts for UConn Williams down the floor Samuelson Notre Dame with the win off to the title game so you're feeling a little bit more ownership of, of the job and and it's been a great year and now we're getting into the really busy time we're getting into March and that means men's college basketball conference tournaments. It means getting into the NCAA tournament. It means getting into the final weeks of the NBA's regular season. It's getting into the start of major league baseball season, which I'll also be a part of doing some radio and TV. So I'm thinking this is going to be it. This is, this is the month let's drive. And these are the months that I would gear up for. 
And this is the type of month that I would talk to my dad about and say, I'm going to do this on Monday. And then I've got this flight on Tuesday and I got a game Tuesday night. And then we got this meeting on Wednesday. And, and he'd always be the one to kind of settle me down and say, all right, well, let's attack this one at a time. You'll, you know, you'll do great. He's always very encouraging. And I remember we were getting ready for one of these stretches. I was doing a conference tournament in Connecticut uh, for women's basketball. I was going to Orlando after that to do a men's conference tournament. And then I was going to, you know, stores, Connecticut, the weekend after to do uh, a uh, opening round of the NCAA tournament. I had NBA on radio on Sundays in between and on some Wednesdays. So I'm, I've got this packed schedule and I'm ready to go. I'm in Florida. I'm doing a Florida, Kentucky game on radio uh, for basketball. Then I fly to Connecticut. I talked to my dad the day before, you know, and I have a, I had a conversation with him just, hey, what, uh, what's, what, what do you got next? He'd always ask, what do you have next? So that he knew. And he'd always text me the day of the game, like, hey, what, what time, what channel? He'd always want to know what time, what channel? Because when he's, when he's home, he's going to go pick my mom up from work. Uh, she's a nanny, you know, an au pair essentially for, for, for a kid. So he's going to go pick her up from work because they still did that, you know, married for almost 50 years at that point. Their lives kind of revolved around each other and a little bit around what I was doing on TV any given night. So having a conversation with him led me to, to get excited for the week. So I talked to him on a Sunday and then on a Monday, I'm in Connecticut calling, you know, a conference semifinal. Uh, I'm calling two games and I get a phone call from my brother during the second game. And, and one of my brothers, he and I are very close to, and he knows when I'm on TV and he doesn't call me during games. And I thought, well, that's weird. So I get to the end of the game and I pick up the phone and it's a voicemail. And it's like, Hey, dad had a heart attack. Um, you know, he's, he's in the hospital right now. This is, you know, eight or nine o'clock at night. And I think I even, I hesitated. I go, well, that's, that's fine. That's fine. You know, like I, he'd want me to stay. Like he, I had that conversation with myself. He'd want me to keep working. He want me to keep doing my job. He was that type of person. And maybe that's my own justification, but either way, that's how I felt in the moment. I felt fine. Maybe not going just because he had conditioned me that way. And I go to my producer, Jim Zaroli, one of the best producers I've worked with, one of the kindest people I know. And he just said, no, what are you doing? No, we're going to get you a flight. You, don't worry. Go. We're going to take you back to the hotel. We're going to get you a car. We're going to get you a flight. We're going to don't worry about the games. We're going to get somebody to fill in. You're, you're going. You got to go. And I just fell into his arms and started crying. I just I hadn't thought about any possibility of losing him at that point. So it didn't hit me until that moment. So now I'm scrambling every, and again, the people I work with were just so kind. They, they got me a, a car service and a, a flight out of Boston. You know, the car was going to take me to Boston because there was an earlier flight in the morning. And this guy, Dom picks me up and it's in this little Lincoln town car. So I, I get into the car and I'm, I'm sitting on my phone. I'm texting, I'm texting with my brother. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm checking in, Hey, let me know any updates. And now I'm talking to my bosses. I'm letting them know, hey, this is what happened. I, I sorry. And they're, again, very understanding. I am just trying to distract myself. And I get a phone call from my brother. He's checking in. Hey, you know, there, there's some issues right now. Oh, the doctor's coming in. I got to go. And that's a really shitty way to, to be left on the hang, uh, you know, on the, on the hook for, for what's about to happen. Uh, but it didn't take long. It was about 10, 15 minutes after that. You know, he called me back and so we lost him and we we're on the phone for a couple minutes and he's like, I, I got to go take care of mom and, and I'm going to go. And I was like, yeah, just, just call me later if you need to. And I got off the phone 
And I just, I lost it. I started wailing in the backseat of this Lincoln town car and Dom, this stout, stocky Northeasterner with a very thick Boston accent. Just read I know who I met an hour ago, you know, or an hour into this drive. He reaches his hand back and just holds my hand and I'm sitting there crying. You know, my, my lungs are flying out of my, 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 you know, my throat and he's just holding my hand and I'm weeping and I, I don't know how to react. I've never, I've never had a death in my family before um, until my dad. And I just didn't know how to react to it. And, you know, the next few days were rough. You know, my bosses were great. They let me off the, this men's basketball tournament in Orlando, but you know, I go to the, I go attend the funeral. We, you know, I take care. I remember paying for like funeral services. And I remember going up and like giving them a credit card. And I think this is so stupid. Like this is, I buy, you know, sandwiches with this and I'm purchasing my father's casket. And it's just, it was just the oddest feeling, you know, having a receipt for your father's death. And, you know, I, I grieve my own way. Everybody grieves their own way. I tried to hold back as much as I could for my mom's sake, for my brother's sake, for everybody's sake. And I went back to work that weekend. I told my bosses, Hey, I don't want to be here. I, I'd rather go work. So I went to Minnesota and I did a game on radio. And then I go to do the first round of the women's tournament. And then I'm doing the second weekend. And then in between I have a game in Cleveland and I'm going back and forth from Connecticut to Albany, to Cleveland, to Chicago, to Columbus. And I'm getting into the, into the real thick of it. And at one point I get back from Connecticut. I had a, I had a, a person next to me that, you know, was talking to me a lot, which again, that's fine. I'm not upset about that, but for whatever reason that day with those weeks leading up to it, I just was so annoyed and I couldn't, I didn't want to deal with anybody. And I remember getting home back to my apartment and I took my coffee table and flung it towards the wall. And I lifted my couch and flung it towards the other wall. And I knocked, you know, stuff in my office over and I'm punching, you know, punching pillows and throwing shit around my apartment. And I'm just angry and I'm upset and I'm yelling at my father. How could you do this to us? How could you leave us? And, and uh, every possible stereotypical cliche you can imagine of some person having a breakdown. Uh, that's what it was. And it was 20 minutes of it and I needed it. And I'm heaving on the floor of my apartment. And I just thought, I think that's it. I think, I think, the, I think I can deal with it now. And it took, a, took two and a half weeks, three weeks after his actual death for me to realize that I needed that. And then the final four happened. And I think things drastically shifted after that. Ever been to the Polina Market? If not, what are you waiting for? It's been Chicago's premier market for the finest meats and much more since 1949. Their steaks are top of the line, but there's also chicken, fish, and those mouth-watering sausages. And you might spend hours just perusing their frozen food section, all made fresh. And now the expanded Polina Market offers beer, wine, and sandwiches. It's become a one-stop shop, making your in-store experience well worth your time. And you can still order online. I've been shopping here since 1984. Paulina Market is simply the best and conveniently located at 3501 North Lincoln Avenue in Chicago. Check them out on their impressive website at paulinamarket.com. No one, I mean no one, does hot dogs better than Vienna Beef. 
That's because they've been doing them since 1893. Imagine biting into a delicious all-beefy on a hot dog, dragged through the garden which includes yellow mustard onions, relish, tomatoes, sport peppers, pickles, and celery salt, and just try that on one of their Polish sausages. Vienna products are available everywhere, from your supermarkets, restaurants, the ballparks, and zoos, just to mention a few, and you can purchase them online at ViennaBeef.com. And look for their farm makers' chili, mini bagel dogs, condiments, and classic deli meats. Take it from a guy who was weaned on, then sold Vienna products. It's the mark of excellence since 1893. Find them at ViennaBeef.com. You really had to let it out. It's funny because I'm thinking of your story now, and there's a correlation between that and one of my dearest friends who died from dementia and ALS. Mm-hmm. And they didn't really grieve the way I should until many months later when I watched a yeah. movie. And when the movie ended, I broke down. My wife was with me. I just completely broke down. And I said, I think I just realized I lost Ronnie. And it was months later. And I thought of your story. And I just thought of this one. And I said, you know, sometimes you work and that's a great tonic. And sometimes you don't grieve, but sometimes you're going to find that you're going to need to. My time yep. came later, but it came because it does. It took, it, it took little, I mean, it's little triggers. It's, it's buildup, it's pressure building up, you know, for whatever reason. And I, and I think of myself as a fairly even keeled person. I, I don't think I get too high or too low just in my everyday life at all. And I pride myself on that, but I, it's, it's, it's a slow churn it was a it was a simmer and it got to that point where i hadn't allowed myself any leeway i hadn't allowed i mean again my, i told you when i first heard he had a heart attack i thought well maybe i'll just stay i can work right i can do this like i don't have to i'm, I'm trying to def- deflect as much as i can i'm trying as hard as possible not to have to deal with any of this head on and i i that, that wasn't good you know but it's all also necessary you know like i think a build up a bl- i just hope that if somebody goes through that they they don't harm themselves or harm anybody else like you know i don't care if i harm the you know you know the the coffee table i don't worry about that but i didn't i, I didn't want to hurt myself i didn't want to hurt anybody else in the process so you know like i can look back on it now and go yeah it was necessary it was it was needed i i needed something like that and and then you transition out of it you know we we went to columbus and i'm doing the final four for the you know it's the first one of the first I guess it's one of the biggest events I've ever done I don't have to say first big event but one of the biggest events certainly I've ever been a part of. and to have it go down the way it did you know overtime games both in the semifinals including Enrique Ogumbawale in overtime against UConn uh walking out of there and just feeling like man maybe you know I, I didn't I don't know how religious or spiritual I was feeling in the moment, but I thought, well, maybe he had something to do with, with this, you know, the, these fun events and these fun moments. And, and maybe this is a, you know, a little parting gift. And I thought, well, it's never going to get better than this. Everyone has a vice, Adam, for getting away from it all, though it's tough on guys like yourself with heavy duty schedules. So who is Adam Amin away from all of this? And think I still have a lot of love for music the way I did when I was, you know, in my teens and in my twenties, you know, it's still something that I enjoy doing is learning 
how to play songs and learning how to play music in general. And and it was something that carried me and and gave me a lot of joy from the time I was eight until I was in my early 20s, you know, playing instruments and singing and performing and acting. You know, there's still a part of me that really, you know, has a has a thirst for that. I'm sure that's why partially I do the job that I do. I, I, it is performative in a sense. Um, but I think away from that, it's away from the job itself. It's trying to be a, a good son and a good brother and a good uncle and trying to be a good friend, uh, trying to have some semblance of a social life. And I think it's easier, in fact, as I get older, because I know who I want to hang out with and I know who I don't care for. And uh, I think I'm more solidified as a person now than maybe I ever have been. And that, that, that really affects the company that I keep. I want to keep the circle closer and tighter as I get older. Cause you know, there's, there's people that, that you realize are invested in you and they care for you. I think those are important things to me. I have plans for the future. I, I don't know how much longer I want to do this. I'm not saying like five, 10 years down. I'm, I'm saying, I don't know if I want to do this in my sixties or seventies, the way a lot of great phenomenal broadcasters have done. I don't know if I'm cut out for that. So I'm still learning a lot. I'm trying to figure out what I like and what I don't like away from the things that I already do like and don't like. And as, uh, as my priorities shift a little bit, I'll figure it out. But I think at the top of the list is to be, like I said, a good son to, you know, a 70 year old mom and to be a good brother to, you know, three guys who have families that are growing and uh, to be a good uncle and to be a good friend. I ask this final question to all my guests. If not for sports broadcasting, Adam, what would you have been? I fear to think. I fear <laughs> to, to think what that answer would be. I think my answer, somebody asked me that question uh, maybe last year, and I think the answer I gave was the job that I was doing before the summer I became a, a, a intern baseball broadcaster, I was selling Chevys in Skokie, Illinois, across from Old Orchard Mall. Really? And that was my last real, as I would term it, real job uh, before this whole thing started. And that summer was, uh, it was a lucrative one. I, I wasn't bad at it. I'd done, I'd sold cell phones and newspapers and, and cars when I was in my teens. So it was, I guess, something that, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good picture to paint for oneself if you're thinking of the caricature of a salesman. Uh, but I'd like to think I was like a decent guy to deal with and, and uh, not too difficult. And I, 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 did, I did enjoy the interaction, but I don't know how, how good I would be at that point. But if I wasn't doing this job, maybe you'd find me at a dealership somewhere and I'll try to get you, you know, a decent APR on this, uh, <laughs> uh, this 36 month lease. Thank you, Adam Amin, for telling me a story I don't know. My thanks to WGN TV and ESPN for those wonderful highlights. And thanks as always to TJ Reeves for putting this podcast on the map, Will Hatzel for his deft editing and mixing, and Nicholas Tochi for our graphic designs. And to our generous sponsors, Dynamic Manufacturing, where there's nothing they can't do, and Raul Jewelers, top jewelers in the northwest suburbs on Barrington Road and Hoffman Estates. Come in as a customer, leave as a friend. Also, the Polina Market, purveyors of the finest meats and much more, and by the Vienna Beef Company, home of Chicago's hot dog and an institution since 1893. Tune in next week for another fascinating episode of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman. 
And that's all she wrote. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.